0: Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, back to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. I'm Ryan Van Viver, your host. With me, as always, are Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing well. Doing doing great. You
0: guys all recovered from three days of drafting and a day of (laughs) undrafted free agency?
1: Finally catching up on some sleep, yeah. Yeah, it's
2: good to kind of, you know, exhale, I guess. After yeah. the draft is is finally over.
0: Yeah, it really is. And then of course, you know, you get hit with deflate gate and all kinds of other crazy crap right afterwards <laughs> when you know it. But uh well, let's start. Um we've got a bit of breaking news, it looks like, to get to jump to right off the bat. Lyle Collins, he passed the polygraph test, he took the paternity test in Louisiana this week. It said that he was not the father of uh the the baby that was killed in the double homicide the the pregnant woman that was killed in the double homicide and he just signed with the cowboys according to Shireen williams who's a longtime cowboys beat reporter down there she's citing a source uh she's usually a pretty good source for cowboys information so i really don't have any reason to doubt her on that news uh that's a hell of an offensive line right there, <laughs> and it was already without Collins. It seems like with Collins, it just got a little better. Steven, your initial reaction to this?
2: Um, Obviously, I think uh, Leo Collins was a top 10, top 15 talent, so he would make any team better. Uh, kind of surprising, I think, that it's the Cowboys who end up uh, being the uh, front runners for him and end up signing them. Just because their their offensive line is pretty much stacked already, but and and especially because I I feel like La- Lael Collins is a left tackle, and we know the the Cowboys are set for the next ten years, literally, <laughs> at left yeah. tackle uh, with their long term deal uh, <clears throat> they signed theirs too. So I'm a little surprised, but hey, uh, injuries happen. All kind of things happen during during the season, and it's it's great to have that kind of insurance on your offensive line. That's for sure.
0: It sure is because, I I mean, I'm just kind of wondering where does he play right now for the Cowboys?
1: Maybe starting him at left guard. I don't know. You know, uh, they have Doug Free at right tackle, so perhaps they see him as the long-term right tackle after Free either, you know, goes to another team or retires. Um, But, yeah, like Steven said, it's a little interesting that, you know, they had reported that he was probably going to go to a team that he can come in right away and play at left tackle. Left tackles get the most money. Uh, it's a lucrative position, you know. He probably, I would imagine, he sees himself as a top talent at that position. So it is a little surprising that he would go to the Cowboys, but I guess maybe they pitched him on being a part of the greatest run offense of all time, or whatever, you know, because their their offensive line is going to be ridiculous now. So,
0: well, I'm just looking. At it. It's a three year deal. Obviously, we kind of knew it would be a three year deal because he's an undrafted free agent. So that'll make give the Cowboys a, uh, you know, that contract trick with the restricted free agency with Collins when he reaches the end of that deal. But I'm just looking at Doug Freeze, you know, Doug Freeze 31 years old, not old by any means, but you know, mm-hmm. at, at the point where you can start thinking about a, you know him not being part of the team. He's got 3 seasons left on his contract and um, after this season he's really, you know, it's not a significant cap hit if the Cowboys did part ways with free so this is Collins is a move that's maybe it seems like to me it's an injury it's a little injury insurance at the very least this year possibly bringing him in um for the right side next year or you know depending on what I mean you know they they don't really like you said they they're pretty set at left tackle with Tyron Smith
1: yeah he's one of the best in the game so interesting uh it's an interesting move
2: and plus uh, the Cowboys did just draft a uh offensive tackle in the third round uh, last Green. weekend. Chaz That's Green. right. So yeah, he's he's actually... actually supposed to be that guy, I think, uh, we thought was going to kind of uh, maybe line up behind Doug Free this year and kind of transition to being the right tackle next year. But I don't know. It's just a little bit surprising to me. For I, I'm, I'm saying completely from uh, Leo Collins' point of view, just because, like uh, Danny said, you would think he would want to play early, and left tackle to recoup some of the money that he lost in the draft is just—it's a little yeah. bit of a head scrapper
0: Yeah, it really is. The only thing I can wonder is if you know the Cowboys obviously pitched him well on something, and if maybe this is a kid that knows he's you know he he needs some support you know, with some personal issues, then maybe that's you know maybe that's another selling point that the Cowboys have to pitch him. I, you know,
1: it's—it was he a Cowboys fan growing up? I mean, yeah. I,
2: it, it almost seems like this type of situation, like, yeah. But you know, throughout this whole process, we have kind of test on the fact that he maybe hasn't been getting the greatest
0: advice, anyway. So, yeah.
2: You know, maybe this falls into that category as well. Mm,
1: interesting.
0: Well, from a talent standpoint, it's the the rich getting richer, and so I guess that's a that's one less injury concern for the uh, for. Um, Demarco Murray, who is apparently Dallas's number one running back.
1: You mean Darren McFadden?
0: Darren McFadden, yes, that's right. <laughs> My God,
1: this—that's no, this, we... that's, that's big for him because you know he's had so many injury issues. If he gets some of the holes that Demarco Murray got last year, you know that'll be good. Um, you know, they're di- they're different kinds of runners. I think a little bit, but and, and I think Murray is a little underrated for his physicality and kind of like running over guys type of style. But uh, I think McFadden's going to, he has a potential to be have some pretty big numbers behind that line.
0: Yeah. If he can make it for more than three games, then right,
1: exactly. it'll be
0: a, it'll be a small miracle in and of itself. Let's come, we'll come back to the Cowboys cause I have another draft related question for the Cowboys, but I just wanted to get to that. The Collins news right off the top of the bat here. Um, Let's go to the other big story in the NFL, which I know you guys are dying to talk about. Deflated footballs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, joy. So it sounds like after reading all 243 pages and then, you know, once or twice yesterday, at least a few sections, it seems like, you know, they, they really kind of let the Patriots not off the hook, but you know they 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 cleared Belichick. They made it sound like there's not there's wasn't a concerted effort on the part of the team to sort of deflate the footballs and make it. It sounds like it's really pinning this on the two the equipment guy, the locker room attendant, and Tom Brady himself in that report. Is that how you guys read it? Is that how you guys are reading it?
2: Yeah, yeah that's I, pretty much I thought as well.
0: Do you feel like Stephen? Do you feel like this is? Uh, What's going to happen to Tom Brady for this?
2: It's an interesting question because I don't know that we have uh, apples to apples comparison you can make uh, in this situation. Um, I mean, I, I don't really know if I will favor a suspension. I know a lot of people are, are calling for suspensions and all this stuff to make an example because yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's a little bit of air out of a football. I really don't think it made that. <laughs> it might, might have just been, you know, a, a superstition type thing. I, I don't know. But, um, I, I just, I, I guess it c- kind of comes down to how they s- view this, this situation. Like, do they see it as compromising the integrity of the game where they need to make an example out of him? Or do they see it as maybe, you know what? Maybe we need to update our rules. This is kind of stupid anyway. Uh, why shouldn't they be able to deflate the balls, you know, a little bit, uh, to get them where they like, they like the balls to be? Yeah. Um, I just can see both sides of it. So I, I'm, I'm loath to try to make a prediction this time because I, I really can't say which side Roger Goodell will come down on. You, you know, it's Tom Brady who's, you know, above reproach before this. And so, you know, do you take into account the fact that he's never really had any troubles before this, or do you try to make an example of, out of him? I, I just don't know.
0: Danny, I'm going to go to you. What do you think? <clears throat> obviously, you're they've got to vacate the Super Bowl now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, as from a perspective of the Seahawks, I guess I'm glad the Ravens, you know, brought it up and the Colts and, and kind of got it figured out because then if it happened, if this had been something that had to do with the Super Bowl, I think it probably wouldn't, you know, maybe it would have been a bigger deal. But obviously in the Super Bowl, I think they must have had the correctly inflated balls and, and Brady seemed to do all right. Um, you know, my reaction yesterday was it was just hilarious. I thought uh, some of the text messages between these guys the equipment managers, uh, Jim McNally. And I can't remember the other guy's name, but, um, I was mostly just, you know, it was like comic relief for me. Uh, you know, just with all the stuff that's going around with the Seahawks right going on with the Seahawks right now. Um, it was a little bit of much needed hilarity. In terms of the, the things they were saying about Tom Brady and, and blowing up the football to the size of a watermelon. And <laughs> I don't know. It was, just, it was you know.
0: A, what? It was a quote unquote a fucking rugby ball.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's he's saying if he doesn't get any fresh kicks, it's rugby Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It, it was funny. I think, I don't know if it's, you know, I guess hopefully, ideally, you know, now that doesn't happen anymore, if they, if they, uh, if they suspend him, I guess that's I don't really have anything against it. I'm not necessarily going to like, you know, go picket the NFL if they don't suspend him. But uh you know, I guess it's just good that hopefully now they'll, you know, have a better grasp on how to take care of that rule and, and we can just all move on with our lives.
0: Well, it's it's gonna be a real boon for the cable talk shows because it's Tom yeah. Brady. I mean, you know, and now you've got Tom Brady, who is already either the greatest or the worst human being in in, in National Football League history. Yeah. And then now you've got, you know, just more gasoline to pour on that fire. And it's just like, I can only imagine. If I watched first take, I would probably watch it. If I was ever going to watch it, this would probably be the time (laughs) to watch it. Because it just, like, the height of stupidity. And, And the amount of stuff out. I mean, 243 pages of this stuff. It's just like. I mean, I was telling somebody, like, I haven't read a book that long since last off season. I mean, that was – I probably should admit that freely, but <laughs> it's uh, – I mean, just, you know, the magnitude of nothingness to some extent of this. But on the other hand, I do understand, too, it's a rule. I mean, you've got to sort of – you know, you've got – the NFL has to kind of come down in favor of its own rules or otherwise it's sort of, you know, it's it, – it's, you know, it, all hell could break loose.
1: Have we decided, like, you, the, you know, the the thing that I was actually most interested in about in this whole thing is the fumble rate, you know, the mm. the statistics that they'd come up with showing the Patriots and, and their, you know, absurdly good fumble rate. And, um, you know, a lot of people say that's just because they – they it's such a huge emphasis for Belichick, and, and he immediately benches anyone that drops the football anyway. So um, maybe it's just a coincidence or what. It'll just be interesting. I don't know if anyone really – came up with like a scientific you know research into that whole thing and I didn't put a whole lot of weight into it at this point but it will be interesting to see if their fumble rate goes up a lot next year and people will probably you know start to blame that on the the football deflated footballs thing and I guess it's that's just an interesting aspect of this whole story to me
0: yeah, it'll be. Uh, I'm sure we haven't heard the last of it. I, uh, yeah. I probably we could probably end it there because I can't imagine this is anything we won't be forced to talk about at least four or five more times in the the as the off season rolls on here. So, yeah. you know, dust off the old Patriot way, hot takes, and <laughs> and, and get going on it. <laughs> I guess. All right. One other news item I want to get to, and this was kind. Of, this was the big story until the Deflate Gate came out, and then now you've got the L. Collins thing, obviously. But <clears throat> the, the and this is something you're more familiar with than the rest of us, Danny. But yeah. the Frank Clark pick has really kind of kind of blew up in Seattle's face a little bit because, yeah, not so much because you know, nobody was aware of Frank Clark's history. I mean, this is somebody we talked about even at the combine you know, the incident, Mm -hmm. the domestic violence incident on his record and in his past and the situation that put him in Michigan, but you had the Seahawks take him. He was, he was their first player taken for the Seahawks. Is that right?
1: Yeah. They traded their first round pick to get Jimmy Graham, obviously. Right. And then they stuck at 63, their second round pick 31st overall and, and chose Frank Clark. And so he's kind of the face of their draft. You know, the first pick is kind of always like the face of your draft. And, uh, and so the the reaction in Seattle was really really, you know, against it for the most part and and just based on some of the comments that P, uh John Schneider and Pete Carroll had made in the past regarding domestic violence. Um Schneider had said that they wouldn't it was a deal breaker for them if they if they found that a player had a incident where he struck a woman. Um mm-hmm. that was about 2 years ago he said that and um so that people were viewing, you know, that as hypocrisy and then they you know in the in the presser after they drafted him the seahawks uh, you know said that they they believed he did not strike this woman and so that was you know based on their investigation then of course now their investigation has been called into doubt because they didn't interview some of the witnesses to the to the incident and um so it's just been you know it's been a it's been a really uh, controversial pick and, and there's a lot of people that are against it. Um, there's, a, there's a good amount of people that are, you know, about redemption and and giving a guy a second chance and um, so it, it's, it's a little bit on both sides but it's definitely been a really, really controversial pick over here. And I, and I will add that the prosecutor in the case has come out and said that she does not believe he punched or slapped her either. Mm-hmm. So the Seahawks version of what they got from their investigation actually does match up with the prosecutor. Um, so that's, I think making people feel a little bit better about the Seahawks investigation in terms of what they found had happened. And um, it, it had contradicted some of the initial eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, the Seahawks conclusion sort of seems to match up with what the prosecution uh, ended up, you know, believing. And, and, and that was the reason the, The charges were actually reduced to uh, disorderly conduct instead of uh, anything to do with uh, domestic violence. So um, I think the bottom line is obviously the police report made it um, painted a very, very disturbing picture of what had happened. Um, But at the end of the day... The charges were reduced. Well, isn't
0: that some of the – I mean, isn't that some of the issue here, though? Because the Seahawks came out and were pretty assured about, you know, this whole, you know, the pick and that they'd done their background investigation on him and whatnot. And this is similar to what we've heard, you know, with Tampa and Jameis' Winston. But – and then it it was revealed by the Seattle Times and the – I can't think of the the TV station report up there. King 5. King 5 that – In fact, they hadn't talked to a lot of people in this case. They hadn't even talked to the guy's defensive coordinator at Michigan. Right, right. Uh, Steven, you read this. You followed this. What's your reaction to this?
2: Well, I I don't understand how you can represent to the public, to your fans, that you've done this exhaustive investigation when the list of people that they didn't talk to just continues to grow. Yeah. And look, teams have all different reasons for the people that they talk to and the people that they don't. We both know if there's somebody they want to talk to, they will reach out to that person. That person might say no, Mm -hmm. but they can reach pretty much anybody if they want to. But for whatever reason, like you said, uh, uh, Ryan, they didn't even talk to his defense coordinator. Yeah. And that, that sounded, that just sounds odd even for a guy who didn't have any trouble in college, for you not to talk to their defensive coordinator. Yeah. So I think, you know, bells and and, and sirens start going off when you tell people that you've done this exhaustive uh, investigation and then come to find out all these other people, including witnesses, including perhaps the victim, they didn't talk to, and it doesn't give you that warm and fuzzy feeling like, yeah, okay, I feel comfortable that, yes, this didn't happen. And I do know that the prosecutor came out and, you know, made that statement that they didn't feel that he hit this woman. But what else do we expect them to say
0: mm-hmm.
2: when they broke <clears throat> broke the charges down to a misdemeanor? It's not like they're going to come out and say, well, yeah, we accepted a misdemeanor plea, but we really think he beat this woman up. So uh, uh, I just, I, if it was me, and I have some of these same, um, Problems with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so don't uh, uh, understand. Don't don't misunderstand and think this is a Seattle thing. Because I was upset when it came out that they, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, didn't re- at least reach out to the victim or the alleged victim in the Jameis Winston case. Mm-hmm. I felt like at, at the very least, she always can say no. Her representative could have said no. At the very least, you offer to meet with them and listen. Because what are you afraid of? If yeah. you don't find her to be credible, then so be it. If you do, then you got other things to worry about. But you shouldn't be afraid of talking to the other people when you know that they talked to Frank Clark in Seattle and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers talk to Jameis Winston. If you get their <laughs> side of things, you should be willing to get the other side of things. It's just, that's just the way I feel about it.
0: Yeah, and you know, this was really kind of, you go look at the draft and the Randy Gregory situation, obviously, with Dallas and, and him falling in the draft a little bit. And it seems like these sorts of things were issues in the draft and where teams took players, but not issues to the point where, you know, teams were willing to just, you know, to give up, take a guy off their board or say no, you know, to making a draft pick for, you know, guys that had been through that situation. And, you know, I guess if there was really one theme of the draft this year, it was kind of it. It was kind of, for me, it was like the character issue, how much it influenced you know, where players were drafted and, and where, you know, how that mismatched, matched up or didn't match up with the projections, you know, we had all been making throughout the spring and the lead up to the draft. Um, is that a successful read on that? I mean, do you guys, was that, did that stand out to you? I mean, do you think, Danny, when you look at the draft and you see the Frank Clark stuff and the Winston stuff, the Randy Gregory stuff, does it look like to you that maybe that that teams Did put some emphasis on character, but not just, you know, to
1: the point where,
0: you know, it had hamstrung their draft board or anything.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, another thing that the CX have been uh, criticized for is that, you know, in the same, not in the same breath, but in the same presser that, that Schneider and Carroll were talking about how, you know, they did all this research on him. They also admitted that he was like the last pass rusher on their board, you know, so it's like they're admitting like they need a pass pressure, you know? And so maybe that that's like, people are looking at it like, well, they're just willing to overlook some of these other major, major red flags just because they need a good football player. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you want to try and I think teams try to want, want to be balanced about it, but at the same time, you know, they feel a lot of intense pressure to get talented players out of the draft and, and have them be impact players. So, a lot of the times they're, you know, willing to either look overlook or feel that they can work with these players or, you know, uh, rehabilitate or, or whatever you want to call it. And at the same time, they, they need to get the top talent. So it's a, it's a hard balance, I think, for some of these teams to, to figure out.
0: Yeah, and Stephen, I'm going to ask you, do you, I mean, have, have we changed? Has they, have we changed in terms of how we regard players with characters? Just have teams changed rather? Well,
2: I think to a certain extent they've had to after uh, the events of the last year. Um I think that because there was so much backlash after um Ray Rice, the Ray Rice incident in particular, uh they know that they have to kind of walk a tightrope now, whereas maybe before, when we didn't have as much information coming down the pipeline, you could sneak a guy in, who maybe had some character issues, and weather that storm. Seems yeah. like now people are a lot more cognizant of the fact that there's going to be a backlash when this kind of thing comes, which makes the Frank Clark selection all the more uh, mind-boggling, I, I, I would say. Uh, he, he was kind of really the reason why he stands out so much is because all the other guys kind of fell except him. Now, maybe he would have been a first-round pick without the character issues, but the fact that he went where he went, I remember look. I was watching the NFL Network broadcast at the time, and I wish somebody could actually, could have saved that clip when that pick came through because everybody on the set kind of looked up what the deer in the headlights looked like. They couldn't <laughs> believe that the pick had just been made, and they they wouldn't even really reference or get into the off-the-field issues, but they were all curt, and they just kept it to, yeah, he's a good player, but... Man, he's got major off the field issues. They just kept kind of saying that, um, um, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, Mike Mayock, they both were just kind of kept this short. But you know, whatever it was they were referring to had to be very serious, a very serious situation. So, um, I wasn't even aware of what happened then. That made it, made me go and look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, he's the one guy that kind of stood out, but everybody else took this tumble. And, and you can throw in, um, um, Lyle Collins with that as well, because, you know, we kind of talked back and forth last week about whether a team would would take a chance to go ahead and uh, uh, pick him later on in the draft. And sure enough, not a single team was willing to go ahead and and pull the trigger, so to speak, and get him. I mean, they could have got him for a song in the seventh round and and not had to outbid a team like the Cowboys, which obviously is
0: hard to do. Yeah, exactly.
1: Wasn't his agent threatening to not sign with any of the team that picked him? Essentially, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I think after it became clear that he wasn't going to get picked in one of the early rounds, that the agent was saying, "You know, if you pick us, we're not going to sign. We'll wait until
0: wait until next... the next draft." And then the right. NFL reminded them of the the rules, where you know they that obviously right. wasn't an option for them. <laughs> and, see, yeah.
2: that, and see, that was the thing. So that's why I say somebody should have called. I would have thought somebody was going to call his bluff because he mm-hmm. had it exactly wrong. What he wanted somebody to do was draft, uh, draft Lyle Collins because that's the only way they could have possibly re-entered the draft the next year. Yeah. He had it exactly wrong. So, hmm. um, that's why I said, you know, going back to that earlier statement, they've been giving him some, a lot of bad advice. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I mean, I just, I, I was so surprised, you know, just, I, I don't know if I was Proud, but I definitely was surprised that for once, everybody in the NFL passed on a first-round talent all the way through the seventh round. That that was pretty remarkable, i say.
0: Yeah, and and you know his case was obviously a, a, an unusual one, and it had the potential. I mean, as far as we knew from the outside, I mean you know, there was a chance he had nothing to do with it. There was a chance, you know, there was a chance that he was involved in some way or in way or another. It was just, there was no way to know that because, I mean, he, not even he had talked to the authorities at that point, by the time the, the draft was, unfolding, he didn't do it until Monday after the draft. So, and then the information just kind of came out in the last, you know, what, 24 hours or so that he'd passed the polygraph test and taken the, and the results of the paternity test as well. But, I want to move on. I, we've talked a lot about that's the uh well about Collins and Clark and, and some of the other stuff, but let's talk about the actual draft itself. The players picked. Obviously, there wasn't a big surprise at the top. We've known the Bucks and Winston were getting together for quite a while now. Um I think the first big surprise was that the Titans drafted Mariota. It was for me at any rate, given all yeah. the, the trade rumors we heard. Danny, scale of one to ten, how surprised are you that the Titans pulled the trigger and got Mariota?
1: I think I would put it maybe like a 7. I kind of was – 7 or 8. I was actually really expecting them to trade out of that pick. Stephen, and I think – I'm going to go yeah. to Steven.
0: I'm going to get his – Steven, 1 to 10, how surprised were you with that?
2: Um, maybe about a 3. Okay.
0: I, I, really,
2: I, never bought, I never bought it. And then the more they kept rejecting these ridiculous offers from, like, Philadelphia, I was like, yeah, they're going to go ahead and pick Mariota. I mean, at some point they had to look over and say, okay, Mettenberger, is really is a We can't live with that. <laughs> and so uh, I wasn't really all that surprised. I just didn't buy it.
0: Well, it makes sense. I mean, you know, we've talked about this here before, but it's just like how do you pass? It's hard to pass on a franchise quarterback. I mean, it's hard to pass on a, a kid fresh out of college like that because, you know, hopefully if you're the Titans, you're not planning on getting the second or third or top five pick again next season, and. And uh, you know the, that's the piece that's hardest to get in the NFL as a quarterback like that. Maybe they got Brad, they could have got Bradford okay if that's true, but uh, then you've got a guy with two bad knees and or one terrible knee and, and and a long injury history who's never really put it all together in five years of the NFL. Or you've got Philip Rivers maybe if that rumor holds any water, then you've suddenly got you know a guy who can give you a couple good years, but he's on the wrong side of thirty for a team that's obviously not one player away from doing you know, making a big run to the Super Bowl. So now let's talk about the, you know, the success, odds for success and how Mariota fits in in Tennessee. You know, people have talked about Wisenhunt's preferred style of offense and, you know, he likes the big cannon-armed pocket statue type quarterbacks. But can he, Danny, do you see the Titans adapting to him here?
1: I would think they would, yeah. I think they probably would have drafted him with something in mind in terms of the type of I guess compromise they could, they could make in turn and the way that was wants to run the offense. Maybe they want to use him more, um, like as a bootleg quarterback or, or whatever, you know, you know, not necessarily going to have him be running the chip Kelly read option spread thing, but they can, uh, they can definitely use his athleticism to the advantage. And you know, I think, you know, they, they chose Jake locker for some of the similar reasons and the fact that he's strong armed and, and mobile. And I don't, you know, obviously wasn't wasn't there at that point, but, um, so I think that they'll definitely be able to adapt and, you know, come up with a plan that they think will fit his skill set. And I think it was interesting. They went and got Darrell Green-Beckham in the second round, mm-hmm. which could be a big deal for him in terms of, you know, giving him a big red zone target, a big, you know, threat on third downs down the line, um, as long as they can obviously keep him on the straight and narrow in terms of off-the-field stuff. But um, their top two picks, I think – were pretty interesting, and they make them makes the Titans a really really interesting team next year. You know, they already have Kendall Wright and uh, Justin Hunter and a couple of other good skill position players. They picked up keen Nix, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting, uh, really interesting pick, and they'll be a really interesting team to watch early on next year.
0: Stephen, how do they how do how do they adapt? How do they how do they bring Mariota into the fold there?
2: Well, as Danny kind of alluded to. You'd be surprised. You know, they had Jake Locker last year, and he was supposed to be the starting quarterback. And they did incorporate some things to get Jake Locker running with the football, and you know, some of the little zone reach stuff. Um, so they've already had a little bit of uh, experience with kind of tweaking their offense to 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 adjust to a mobile quarterback. Now you're going to have uh, the two big wide receivers. You got don't I, I would believe that Justin Hunter and Dorial Green Beckham would be the tallest, most athletic duo of wide receivers in the NFL, maybe ever. And so hmm. you got two big guys. And and the th- remember, I said the reason why I covered Mariota here is because we had the two big wide receivers here. Mm-hmm. So now he he's, he's he can do a good job of throwing those fifty fifty balls, letting those guys go and get it. And he's got some good a good offensive line in front of him. They've invested in the offensive line in the years past. So he's got some good skill position guys around him. I think uh, Kendall Wright is one of the most underrated players in the whole NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the, the tight end from the 49ers last year.
1: So Delaney Walker.
2: Yeah. Delaney Walker. So he's got some great pieces around. Bishop Sankey at running back. They'll design everything around him, but he's going to have a lot of help as well so i expect him to to actually be relatively successful early on because he's going to have a lot of pieces around him it's not going to be all on him
1: yeah Uh, they had yeah just to read off a few more names they have on offense because i'm looking at their skill position players they have some interesting names they signed harry douglas in free agency they signed hakeem nicks they signed jacoby ford so three of those guys are kind of I wouldn't say, you know, Douglas is washed up, but Nixon and Ford have had some issues, but at, at points in their career have been very, very good. So add in, you know, Daryl Green-Beckham, and they they got Trey McBride, who a lot of people liked, in the seventh round. Um, so that's, you know, the wide receiver core looks pretty solid right now. And then you also have Dexter McCluster at running back. He's kind of like a dual-threat guy. You know, he's, like, he's, a, he's a gadget guy, but he, he could factor in on some things. And then they went and drafted David Cobb to yeah. pair with, to, bear, to pair with Bishop Sankey, kind of their one two punch. They still have Sean Green. I don't know what the future holds for him, but um, and they also they also drafted a uh, fullback, so they're obviously looking to run the football the way that I see it, um, and then you know take some of the pressure off of Mariota, and, and it'll be really interesting to, yeah, like it'll it'll be interesting to see the type of offense they run, but um, it'll be interesting to see how much they ask him to do.
0: Well, you know, it's a team It's it's a team. Obviously they had the second pick for a reason. They've got a lot of work to do and it yeah. seems like it you know, it seems like they're going trending in the right direction. It's a team that I mean, you know, they haven't had a franchise quarterback since Steve McNair. Yeah. And that's crazy. been you know, it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago, but man, it has been. It's been a long time ago since the Titans had McNair and, you know, Jeff Fisher was actually good for a while. It's crazy. But.
1: <laughs> Turns out having a good quarterback is pretty important.
0: Yeah, it does a lot. Let's move down. I don't want to cover every pick in the first round, but I do want to cover the third pick because I thought that was kind of an interesting one, and that's Dante Fowler Jr. to the Jaguars. Uh, You know, a lot of people just kind of assumed that Leonard Williams would be the third pick off the board because he was, you know, probably the best player in the draft in a lot of people's mind, and and it just kind of made sense that, uh, that with the two quarterbacks gone, that's who would go next. But Jacksonville went ahead, and they... They got the outside pass rusher and Fowler. Was that a... Steven, you you broke down both those guys pretty closely. Is that a good pick to you? Nope. It was not. (laughs) uh, It wasn't a bad pick. Yeah. But
2: you had two guys that I thought uh, you could have picked that would would turn out better than that pick. I think Leonard Williams and I think Vic Beasley would have been a better pick than uh, Dante Fowler Jr. The great thing about the, v- the Vic Beasley comparison is Vic ended up going to the Atlanta Falcons, and they're going to mm-hmm. run the same kind of defense. Exactly. Yeah. So it'd be pretty easy three years from now to see which one of those guys, like if, if it was a correct pick or not. Three years from now, we should should have a clear picture of, of that answer.
1: Yeah. And if it had been opposite, I bet you anything that the uh, the Falcons would have taken Fowler. I right. mean if it and have absolutely. That. And
2: I'd have had no problem with that. I just felt like. <laughs> That's the order they should have went in. First, it should have been Leonard Williams, yeah. by far. Mm-hmm. And then next in line, you know, five spaces, maybe. Yeah. I'd have still taking big B's over Dante Fowler.
0: Well, and then how, like, you go back, <laughs> let's stay with Williams, because you go back, it's like, I'm looking at the, the order here. It's like after the Jaguars pick, you've got the Raiders and Washington. And I can see either of those teams for, a, you know, a good case to add a guy like Leonard Williams to the roster.
1: Yeah, well, easily.
0: And
2: they did I, I think that both of those teams were just committed to trying to to help their offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only thing I can come up with, especially for the sheriff, uh pick. Yeah, I, I can't really justify that one at all, except for to say, you know, you got an offensive head coach uh, in Jay Gruden, and they have to make a decision on uh, RG three yep. this year. And yeah, so I thought that they, was they, the uh, you know, the best chance possible. I'm sure RG, RG3 RG is appreciative, but I still think <laughs> they should have pulled the trigger on Leonard Williams. I just, it, you put those two guys up against each other, I, I don't think it's going to be close.
0: No, uh, no.
2: So, but I, I, you know, Amari Cooper, you want to put him with your young quarterback in Oakland, so I get that. But I still, you know, I, I just don't, I think all those teams, they might not come to regret it, but they'll see that, yeah, we probably would have been a little bit better off getting Leonard Williams instead.
0: Yeah. Well, and then you look at where Leonard Williams did end up going, and that's the New York Jets at number six. <laughs> and that's, I am telling you what, <laughs> well, Stephen, what what was your reaction when you saw the Jets grab Williams with the six pick? Listen,
2: it, there's no better uh, example of the rich getting richer <laughs> than the, him going to that team that's already stacked up front and, and, you know, you, you get an attacking style coming in, maybe a little bit different way of playing up front uh, with the new head coach and the new defensive scheme. So we'll see, man. I just, they got so much talent. I don't even know how they're going to maximize it all because yeah, you can't, can only put so many guys out
0: there at once. Yeah. I, that, and that D, just front to back, man, that defense. Look at the defensive line. Look at the corner. Yeah. Obviously, the cornerbacks were the big story with the, what the Jets did during the free agency period. Right. So it's just like, man I, that to defense to me looks good enough to uh to beat tom brady in the regular season i, I know they still have quarterback issues i'm not overlooking that but it, it looks Ugh. like can the do they can they do it now with that defense
1: i, I think they on can paper. yeah it's, they got they, they went out and signed revis they got cromarty they got Scrine. They uh, they've got Wilkerson, Richardson, Williams, and Harrison on the front line, plus Coples. Yeah, I mean it's just they're stacked, and they got the first rounder from last year, Calvin Pryor, coming back, and you know obviously he didn't have a great first season, but um, if I, I feel like if anyone can get get something out of him, it would be uh, Todd Bowles, just because of what he did last year with the with the Cardinals um so you know that's a really really interesting defense
0: and they took you know to go back to their offense they took devin smith in the second round which i think was a good pick i mean for especially a second round pick you've got a young quarterback situation is it whether it's geno smith or bryce petty that ends up you know getting the bulk of the starting work at quarterback this year i mean i think that's a good addition because now you've got brandon marshall eric decker Devin Smith it's you, you, that offense is suddenly yeah pretty well set. Except yeah they have the got court. they've got
1: their their you know big post up receiver in Marshall they've got kind of their possession receiver in Decker and now they've got a guy that will really stretch the defense with Devin Smith. So it makes a lot of sense from like 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 Stephen said on paper it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, always, Plus always, they've got their okay. tight end, you know, Jason Morrow, he's mm-hmm. kind of their their joker or whatever. So it'll be interesting.
0: And they also draft. I'm just looking in the third round, and I don't know a lot about this guy, but it's an interesting pick because it's it's Lorenzo Malden, the, the an outside linebacker out of Louisville. Mm-hmm. Steven, are you familiar at all with with him much? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that he's what is what? What's he looking like for them? I mean, how does I mean, he, he fit he's, in the he's picture? Uh,
2: pretty good edge guy. Uh, good size on him. He, he's he's going to be an outside linebacker for them. I'm sure. Uh, Good pass rusher, very athletic, uh, goes hard. He's Mm -hmm. one of those uh, big-time extra effort guys. And you just kind of love his motor. He kind of reminds you of Dante Fowler in that aspect of you just like watching him play because he goes so hard. So um, I don't think that he's, you know, going to be a 10-sack guy anytime soon. But he'll he'll be a, a decent enough rotational guy, I think. For a few years,
0: yeah, absolutely, and and that was a position where they did. I mean, we talked about that defense being pretty loaded, but that's a good, um, you know, that's a good pick for them because, uh, you know, that was an area where they that was probably the one sort of yeah. I hate to say weak link because it's not really a weak link, but it's the one area where they weren't just as Stacked. fucking loaded with talent <laughs> as they were, you know, like a defensive line or in the secondary with with their yeah. cornerbacks, but. So uh, that's a that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a fun, a fun team to watch at the very least. Not that the Jets are ever they, not a fun team to watch. They the added
1: oh, they point. added Zach Stacy and Stephen Ridley as well. You know Stephen Ridley in a free agency, and then they traded for Stacy. Once the Rams picked up uh, Todd Gurley, so their their running back situation looks interesting. You know they already have Chris Ivory there too. So that's a pretty pretty heavy. Ivory Ridley Stacy. That's a pretty heavy rotation right there.
0: Yeah, it really is. And that's uh we'll see what happens with Stacy. I don't know. I thought Stacy sort of I mean he's a good sort of uh, you know, that one trick pony kind of running back. I don't see him as, you know, a guy with a lot of upside as a lot of as much upside as Trey Mason, the guy that replaced him, or Todd Mm Gurley, the guy that replaced both of them in St. And we'll get to that one in a minute because I thought that was a pretty interesting pick as well. Vic Beasley, number eight to the Falcons. I, I, If you would have wanted to bet me $1,000 before the draft happened that Vic Beasley would be off the board with the eighth pick, I would have easily taken that bet. And I'm yeah, glad think, nobody did. <laughs>
2: right, I think, just, you
1: know.
2: It just kind of happens that way sometimes. You know, uh, I, I I, never would have believed he'd have lasted that long, but I think he landed in a perfect spot. And, A lot of people had mocked him to the the Falcons, so other people had a feeling he might last that long. I was pretty surprised, but, you know, I said in in my breakdown of him, he reminded me of John Abraham. Mm -hmm. And I think people are going to see that comparison once they see him on the field uh, out there in red and black.
1: Mm -hmm. I would think that Dan Quinn was probably doing backflips when when Beasley got there. I don't know how quickly (laughs) the pick went in, but I bet you anything they – <laughs> they they as they say they ran to the podium to hand in their card because he's he's the perfect Leo in terms of what we know of it anyway, in terms of the the weak side pass rusher. And so he'll definitely you know, he'll fit their defense like a glove and they needed a pass rusher desperately, so <clears throat> that was just a no brainer to me. Yeah.
0: Um Let's do talk about the running backs then. Uh, Obviously, you've got (laughs) Gurley at number 10 to the Rams and Gordon at number 15 to the Chargers. I thought that was a good uh, – for some reason, I like the Gordon pick much more than I do the Gurley pick. The Chargers – I mean, I think Gordon fits in a lot better with where the Chargers are at offensively than Gurley does with the Rams offensively. You've been
1: conditioned to skepticism, I think.
0: Can you believe it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I really liked the girly pick, actually. And and I guess the way that you can frame it is I, I was like, it was like, God damn it, when the Rams took him, you know, because he's going to be – I think he's going to be a really, really good back for a long time. Um, so, of course, he goes to the NFC West where things are already so competitive in terms of run games and defenses. So, it, it makes a lot of sense to me why they would choose him, just because seeing what the Seahawks have done with Marshawn Lynch over the years uh-huh. – um, and then the Gordon pick, you know, I'd, I'd kind of gone on record saying I wasn't as high in Gordon as a lot of people. It was interesting they traded up to grab him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I guess it, it does make sense for the Chargers a lot because they had such a poor run game last year. I think they were 31st in yards per carry last year. And um, with a really good quarterback, you'd, you'd expect it to be a little bit better than that. Yeah. Um, so I think that he fits a real need for them and, and trying to give Phillip Rivers, you know, something – you know, a compliment, I guess, to to take some pressure off of him next year. that that made some sense to me as well.
0: Yeah. Now Steven, what did you think about the running back picks?
2: Well, I I, I was a little bit surprised by the, the girly pick uh by the Rams just because of the success y'all had with um with Trey Mason last mm-hmm. year. Uh but look, I said last last week, uh he's a grown man. So <laughs> if you feel like his knee is going to be 100%. You almost can't pass on him. He's just that good. And so I imagine he was just the best player available, and they went ahead and went with it. Uh, I think he's going to you know, be fantastic there because I think he would have been fantastic anywhere. It's just a matter of how he impacts the team as far as wins mm-hmm. and stuff of that nature. Um, I will say the Melvin Gordon one, uh, Danny and I kind of shared the same sentiment on Melvin Gordon's Thought maybe he was a, not as good as people people think he is. My thing with the, the the Chargers pick, they traded up to get him. I actually thought Brandon Oliver, uh, who was like way down on the depth chart yeah. last year, worked his way all the way up. I thought he showed a lot at the end of the season last year. And mm-hmm. then you already have uh, some change of pace guys like Donald Brown and Danny Woodhead I was a little bit surprised that, that they covered him that much. But if they think he's that much of a difference maker, I, I guess I could see it. But I was kind of, you know, anticipating maybe Brandon Oliver being the guy this season because he, uh, he's a short, stocky guy. He was uh, good. Kind of like, huh? He was good, yeah. Yeah, he, he he really showed up when they needed him most. and almost helped them get, uh, you know, further than anybody imagined him going, when they had all those injuries at running back so uh but now he's gonna be uh second team i I suppose uh which isn't bad either but I, i was a little bit surprised that they jumped up to get a running back of all positions
0: yeah and there were other running backs to be had in this draft too it wasn't like it was you know it wasn't like the quarter a quarterback situation where you had the the top two guys and nobody after that i mean this is a pretty good group of, of running backs in the draft this year. I think Tevin Coleman was the guy we've talked about on here before, and who, you know, I think he wound up with the Falcons, right? With, yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty loaded draft for the Falcons, too, my God. But so you've had that guy. I mean, you've got, I mean, it wasn't like you had to reach to get a running back this year, but I guess if that's what the Chargers felt like they needed to do, then they needed to do it. Any other picks from the first round, Steven? pick that surprised you most in the first round that maybe we haven't talked about yet you liked or didn't like hmm. uh, even first two rounds
2: read. um i do think i thought the uh panthers <laughs> they uh they drafted the linebacker out of uh shaq thompson washington shaq thompson and I understand why everybody's saying he's going to eventually, uh, replace their weak side linebacker. Um, but I just so many, you know, he, the Panthers are in, in then kind of the same position as Washington in that they need to know what they got at quarterback yeah. for sure before they pay him. So why do they refuse to surround this man with the best talent they can find? I, I don't get it. You got so many problems on the offensive line. You're counting on Michael Orr being your left (laughs) tackle this year. And it just, it kind of boggles my mind that uh, you go Shaq Thompson there. I I just felt like there were, I don't care if he was the best player available. I don't even really know what his position for sure will be. We like to think that undersized linebackers will work out, but sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I just felt like there were a lot other places they could have went with that pick, especially on the the offensive side of the football. You basically, you know, drafted a backup in the first round. So I I just didn't agree with that pick at all.
0: Danny, what pick you look through this, which pick really do do you not like? Which is the pick you have the biggest quibble with?
1: (laughs) Among the early ones. Uh, You know, I was – this isn't, like, shocking or anything. I was a little surprised the Colts took Philip Dorsett just because they've kind of got, you know, they've got a guy that a lot of people compared to him in T.Y. Hilton already. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe they, like, you know, you could say they're trying to get stronger at that spot, and and I guess that's their identity is their passing game. But <clears throat> I just think with some of the needs they had at other spots that they could have uh, gone in a different direction. So, you know, on one hand, you kind of – wonder about that pick and and at the same time he said he was their highest rated guy so you go with that and I guess that's what Colts fans are going to have to lean on um but yeah that was the pick that kind of surprised me just because of the talent they already have at receiver Mm -hmm. you know they got Andre Johnson they obviously have T.Y. Hilton and then last year they drafted Dante Moncrief they got a couple other guys um more like role players too as well but I think I guess that was just kind of the head scratcher for me, uh, or I guess maybe just you want, you might want to call it like it was like a surprise direction for me.
0: Right. The WTF pick of the first yeah. round for you there.
1: What would you say your uh, most surprising pick was? I don't have to answer on the host.
0: <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> I <I'm just> joke. <joking. laughs> Tried to turn it around. You.
0: <laughs> well, I was the girly pick to me was a little as much as I like Todd Gurley, I just don't I don't know. And then they went and picked all those. You know, the 18 different offensive linemen after they drafted him. <laughs> so maybe that's enough. I don't know. They haven't had a real good track record getting their rookie or young linemen in there and, and active and, and playing at the level they need to play at. So, I know. The Shane Ray pick was a little iffy to me. And that's one that Broncos traded up for. I'm not surprised that he went 23rd overall. I'm more surprised that Denver traded up to get him at 23rd overall. Not that Ray's a bad player by any means, but... I just don't know that he's the guy that I would have traded up for if I were in the position that the Denver Broncos were in. Well,
2: I think I think it kind of played out where there was a little bit of a run on pass rushers. Mm-hmm. They were nervous about not getting another young one. DeMarcus Ware is only going to be there a couple more years if that. Mm-hmm. And they felt like there was a lot of value right there because a lot of people thought, you know, Shane Ray was a top-ten talent. And they probably had a, a, a clue that somebody else was about to take him to be quite honest, that's usually how those things work. Yeah. So, um, after thinking about it, you know they got Wade Phillips there. I think it's a decent pick for them. I think, I don't think he's going to be called on to start anytime soon, but he'll be a guy that comes in on passing downs and look. Like I said, that's one thing that kid definitely can do is rush the pass.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and they traded up fives. They only traded up five spots from the twenty eighth pick in the in the in the first round to the to the 23rd, a swap with the Lions.
1: They must have thought the Cardinals were going to grab him. And then it kind of started a uh, a domino effect, because I think then the Cardinals drafted D.J. Humphreys, who the Panthers wanted. Yeah. And so the Panthers had to go with Shaq Thompson, who was probably their second choice at that spot. So it's an interesting little, I guess, just anecdote for how the draft works. Like, if you believe the reports, that's like definitely a little bit of a domino effect right there.
0: It wasn't the most exciting draft as drafts go. I mean, there were no. It,
1: it wasn't. <laughs> yeah.
0: There were a lot of players, but not. I mean, there's a lot of players, obviously, but there weren't. It just wasn't. It, it's. It doesn't seem on the surface, at any rate, just to be loaded with star power like you know the yeah. past drafts have been.
1: I think it was a middle-heavy draft in terms of there's this big section of like the second to the fifth round where you got a lot of guys that are maybe in the same range in terms of, like, their grade for teams. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And it was nothing, like, too shocking as you went along. You know, two guys weren't way too high or way too low, generally speaking. Yeah. There was a few, a few of them, obviously, but...
0: Well, Danny said the G word, so if I... If I can find it, I'm gonna go back and insert the reggaeton horn in there <laughs> when we get done with this and mix it up. But uh let's let's quote on let's not grade the draft. Let's talk about let's <laughs> some teams that you think did pretty well, you know, just overall coming out of the weekend. Steven, let me start with you. Give me a couple teams that you think really improved themselves in the draft. Well listen,
2: uh, when you can get Michael Bennett in like the sixth round or fifth round, whenever they got him. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars, to me, uh, just everything fell their way this year in the draft. I thought they had a phenomenal draft. Uh, Even with them picking Dante Fowler over two guys (laughs) I would have picked. I still thought they had a phenomenal draft. Uh, They get the running back from Alabama, Mm -hmm. uh, and they needed that bell cow. You know, uh, last last year, um, the quarterback that used to play for Michigan ended up being they're starting running back for most of the season. A lot of people didn't know that. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, yeah. yeah, what is his name?
0: Well, who's this? TJ Yeldon.
2: No, Look, he's talking about he uh, Denard Robinson. Back. Denard oh Robinson yeah, was their starting running back for most of last year? So that tells you how much they needed a running back. Yeah, and, and no disrespect to Denard, he actually did way better than I thought he would. But still, he wasn't supposed to be a starting running back in the NFL.
0: Yeah,
2: and so they rectified mm-hmm. that they address needs and they address some best player available as well. So I thought they did some great things. And of course, Atlanta, which we kind of dis discussed a little bit, you know, you get Tevin Coleman after you, you pass on Ty Gurley. It's funny. All the national guys and me included kind of like Atlanta's draft, but their local guys are kind of, uh they're not happy. So <laughs> really, <laughs> their, their fans are, are a little bit confused right now, but I'll say it. Uh, look, I really love their draft. I thought, they They're dressing these and their biggest need they've had for the last few years has been pass rusher, and they fill that role, and they get Taylor Coleman. I think they did some really good things this year.
0: Yeah, and I really like the Jalen, we, we didn't really talk about it, but the Jalen Collins in the second round, the cornerback out of LSU. I mean, I saw a lot hey. of folks were kind of, had mocked Collins in the first round, and I was always a little leery of that, because he didn't play, I mean, for a senior, he didn't play right. that much at LSU. But to get him in the second round, I think it's a good deal, because he's got that size, and and build that the, the Seahawks cornerbacks that are taking over the league slowly but surely. All right, Danny, let's go to you. A couple teams that you think really aced the draft this year.
1: So the two teams, you know, I would agree wholeheartedly with Steven about the Jags and the Falcons. I think those are two of the top teams, I think, in terms of just the talent and value they got from some of the players. Um, I liked the Browns draft a lot. You know, they they went with Danny Shelton in the first round. That was kind of an obvious fit for them. You know, two yapping nose tackle, dominant against the run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went and added, it was a little bit surprising, they added Cameron Irving uh, in the first round as well. And he's the center, you know, but he can kind of play. He played tackle as well, and so maybe they'll have him uh, play guard or who knows what they're going to have him do because they still have Alex Mack at center. But um, their offensive line is just going to be stacked. And you know, they're they're obviously kind of committed to the run and just being a tough team mm-hmm. in the AFC uh, north. And so, um and then from there they got Nate Orchard in the second. I thought that was a pretty good pick. You know, he's gonna add some uh, pass rushing talent for them. They added Xavier Cooper in the in the third. I I really liked him. He has a kind of a, a pass rushing type of you know, he he'll be a D end in their system. Mm-hmm. And um then they got Duke Johnson out of Miami, kind of a change of pace guy to the running backs they already have. And then in the later rounds, they added a couple of role-player type guys. And um, and then at the end of the draft, they, they took a flyer on Iphil Epre uh, from Oregon. And that's kind of an interesting pick in terms of he was, you know, top one-two projection before he really ripped up his knee. So um, if he can get his knee healthy, that could be a really good pick for them. They obviously already have a, like a stacked uh, defensive secondary. So I, I liked that as well. And, um, so so overall, you know they had like 16 picks or something, but they they got I think they had really good um, value and, and they found some players that could make an impact for them early. The other draft I like I don't know if people are talking about it or not. You know I don't listen to Kansas City radio, but I liked the uh, the Chiefs draft. I think grabbing Marcus Peters in the first round makes sense for them. He kind of fits the mold of the the longer physical corners that they like there. Mm-hmm. I think that Mitch Morse was a little bit underrated throughout the process, and so grabbing him was important. You know, maybe he could play uh, center for them if they like. Um, Chris Conley makes some sense. You know, he's, he, he's a freak athlete, and they're, you know, the most quoted stat of the year last year was that none of their receivers had any touchdowns, so adding some talent at that spot's important. He's He's a kind of a a Blazer, and he didn't really have many stats at, at Georgia just because of the offense they ran there. They grabbed Steven Nelson out of Oregon State. I like him as a, as a nickel back. Um, and then a couple guys in the late rounds. Rakeem Newton is rock, Roaches I like. He's kind of a a nickel-style pass rushing defensive tackle uh, that you know could add some pass rush to their front next year. And so uh, overall, I really like their draft as well.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a good one, too. Um, you know, another one, I kind of, I don't know if, if we we kind of, the, the Washington first-round pick was a little iffy, but, I, you know, I don't hate the rest of what they did in the draft there, and this sort of continues this off-season theme. is like maybe Washington has kind of started to figure things out a little bit. But yeah, that remains to be seen, obviously. But
1: I like their draft as well. I think Preston Smith in the second is a really good value. Yep. Um, Matt Jones, you know he's a little. I think he was rated a little lower than where they got him, but he's like really physical. You know, I think the big thing with Scott McLuhan is they they want to, and he said that today. He, he want teams to know when you've played us. That's kind of like the Seahawks Forty mm-hmm. ers like mantra the last couple of years. Like we're gonna beat the hell out of you if we can. And Matt Jones, I think fits that. They got Ari Quanjo Kwan, uh, in the fourth. You know, he could be maybe a depth guy at first, and then develop into a starter. Um, and you know Evan Spencer, I think the receiver out of Ohio State, he was a little bit underrated just because he didn't have that many. He didn't have very good stats, but he's a very good. Uh, he's a very good athlete, and he'll be a big time. I think special teamer for them. So up and down, looking at their draft, I think it's a it's an interesting group of players, and, and they got better with that group.
0: Yeah, I, you know another team. I kind. I mean, it's not the kind of draft you just want to sing songs about, but I thought it was a good basic draft. It was the what the Bears did in the draft. They got Kevin White with the seventh pick, and they got Eddie Goldman with a 39th pick in round two, the defensive tackle out of Florida State. I thought that was a a good one-two for them. And then they go and they get the center from Oregon in the third round, and I thought that was a nice mixture. This was sort of – I looked at their – I was just looking at their picks. It sort of makes me think it's like this is the, okay, we're going to settle for Jay Cutler sort of draft class. (laughs) We're well, we're stuck with Cuddy for another year, so we're going to make the best, make the best out of it. Yeah, so you know there was there was that one. Anything else from the draft that really stuck out to you, Stephen?
2: Um, I, you know uh, seeing uh, Brett Hundley fall as far as he did, yeah, uh, was a little bit surprising to me. But I think if anybody fell into a great situation. He did, yeah. uh, because I think he's going to be another one of those guys that sits behind, uh, Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years and then goes get, and gets paid because like we, t- like we said before, he's got some tonight, a nice skill set about him. Uh, his decision making could be better. And I think that'll improve there. Uh, and his accuracy will probably improve there as well. So I think, uh, that was a very nice pick for both sides, uh, kind of stopped the bleeding.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that one too, because that's almost that's got that sort of, you know, the Eagles, the old Andy Reid Eagles model of this is they're sort of drafting this guy to develop him and trade him away, for, you know, or if Roger stays healthy for the rest of his career, that is. But you know, you've got future value out of a guy like that. So, hey, speaking of quarterbacks, I wanted to ask you something here. I want the uh, the the Saints drafted a quarterback, and. It was Garrett Grayson out of Colorado Hmm. State in the third round. Who was, a lot of people saw as, you know, one of the two or three candidates that would be, most likely be the third quarterback picked in the draft this year. Um, Is he Drew Brees' eventual replacement?
1: Sure they see him as a potential for that. You know, picking in the third round, I think that's low enough where you can, you know, say to yourself, this is a, this is a developmental style pick but at the same time it's such an important position that it's worth the you know it's worth it it's worth that uh, third rounder and so i think he has some of the same attributes as is breeze in terms of he throws with anticipation and he's very strong in the pocket i think they probably see that as maybe they see that as one of his top traits because that's drew breeze in a nutshell you know his ability to walk like climb the pocket, move around in the pocket, subtle movements in the pocket, and, and that's been so huge. That's why they had those two all-pro guards you know, for so long, is that he's just so strong in the pocket there. Um, so I think that's a similar – I mean, there are some attributes, I think, that are similar. Obviously, he's not Drew Brees, but um, I can kind of see why they like him. My, my guess is they probably think of him as a longer-term backup mm-hmm. and hope that, he, hope that he would turn into a starter at some point. Um, but it's just so rare to get a starter in anything but the first round that – I'm sure they're not, you know, kidding themselves in terms of what they're getting. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they can turn him into a trade bait at some point down the line. (laughs) Who knows?
0: Who knows? Well, it was a good draft. Um, It was a good time. It's always good when the draft is over. That's kind of a good feeling because it's a reward (laughs) for a job well done. A long season and a long spring, so... With that, I guess we can reconvene next week and hash out some depth chart talk or whatever it is (laughs) or whatever, God knows, whatever scandal the NFL will hand us on the planet before then.
1: Oh, God.
0: (laughs) I can only imagine what it will be. All right, Steve and Danny, you guys, uh, thanks for joining us today and uh, have a good one.
1: Thanks for having us.